1: Hello tennis fans and welcome to episode 18 of The Passing Shot. Please take your seats quickly ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.
0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Passing Shots, your ultimate tennis catch-up podcast. I'm Kim.
1: And I'm Joel.
0: And today we'll be discussing the first fortnight on the 2019 ATP and WTA tours, including a look back at the last ever Hotman Cup, as well as all of the other pre-AO warm-up tournaments. And uh, we'll be also discussing some very sad news that came out just a couple of days ago. How have you been, Joel, since the news broke?
1: Uh... Hi Kim, how you doing? I yeah, I've had a box of tissues I think next to me at work since the news broke. Obviously Andy Murray uh doesn't think well, he doesn't think he can play any more tennis on the ATP tour, which is which is very sad for everyone, I think.
0: Yeah, it's been pretty like harrowing I think for tennis fans and I mean it just at the whole of like the Twitter sphere and you know, the sports pages is just full of Andy and I mean, it's really, really, I didn't know his, his injury was like the extent that it actually was. I mean, it's affecting his, his daily life, like his, just his normal quality of life, which I think for me is kind of the worst aspect of it. Um, and I certainly didn't expect to kind of hear this news. Um, and I, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's not the news that we want to hear at the start of the year. I mean, I think we were only discussing in our last episode you know where we thought he'd finished the year like ranked so um it's
1: all that optimism has dissipated rapidly Kim
0: (laughs) yeah so I mean he's he's doing what's best for for him and his body and his family and I mean I think it's just got to the point where you know it's not tolerable and I guess he's only going to be making it all worse by carrying on but I mean what I think we can hope for is that he can play Wimbledon and and have a a decent enough send-off and maybe if he can feel like he's got enough reserves to get to that point where he can turn up, um, you know, on centre court and have his like final moment, that would be kind of the best scenario to end with, I think.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't want him to end on a whimper. So uh, it would be great if he could get to Wimbledon and have like a, a last hurrah. Yeah. But there's a lot of time to go until then. Obviously, we've got the Australian Open coming up. He is in the main draw and we hope that he will face uh, Batista Ragut in the first round. But beyond that, I think a lot is a lot is up in the air.
0: Yeah, I think he would just pick and choose the old tournament, like maybe, you know, his favourite ones or, or maybe just not play at all and then try and prepare for, you know, going to Queen's and Wimbledon and just, you know, saying a goodbye, essentially. Um, it's just, I think it really has sort of sent shockwaves because we've just kind of been swanning along with like the big four for so long. And we just, I think it really shows how much we've kind of taken them for granted almost. And, you know, he's the first of those, you know, big players to go. And I don't think it will be too, I don't know, Rafa going, um, some of the other, you know, it's just kind of the start of the end, isn't it? And I don't think people are ready to accept that quite yet.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens, but for me the Andy Murray farewell tour will begin after the Australian Open yeah, and we'll probably will finish will we'll finish at Wimbledon. But, you know, there's a lot more we could talk about. We could save Andy Murray for uh, for another t- for another time because there has been so much going on in the first couple of weeks of the season.
0: Oh, there has. There has so much to talk about. So yeah, we'll have to um, leave Andy for, you know, a special tribute episode in the future. Um where shall we begin? So much has happened. Um shall we go to Perth for the Hotman Cup?
1: Yeah, so let's let's go to our... That was
0: pretty exciting, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean that was I think there was a lot of focus on the Hopman Cup going into it given all the new stories about you know, these team ten event, tennis events coming up over the last couple of years, you know, with the you know, Rod the Lever Cup and also the ATP Cup, which is this new Tennis tournament coming into Australia next season, so I feel like there was a there was a big spotlight on the Hopman Cup, and it was really exciting because actually, uh, you know, this year the the teams that took part it was it was a very high quality field, and we had Roger Federer and Serena Williams both there, which added I think a real kind of sense of occasion to the event.
0: It did, yeah, And, and they finally you know got to play each other in a in a competitive you know it's not a ranking event or anything, but. It, they finally, you know, we got the match that we wanted. Uh, so that did, you know, create quite a bit of a sensation. Um, I believe Federer and Bencic won that, didn't they?
1: Yeah, they did. that's
0: Serena and Francis Tiafoe. Um, and then Switzerland obviously went on to win the Hotman Cup for the second year in a row. And that was a really dramatic final. They beat Germany. And I think it literally came down to the last point.
1: And it was just a really great way, I think, to if you know if that is the last hopman cup it was a really great you know it was a bang to end on
0: yeah and it's like it's the only mixed event that we have in the calendar and i think it is going to be sorely missed um because it's just it's very unique and i don't really know whether there's going to be maybe like an equivalent tournament next year because you know they've got the atp cup that's coming in but that is a purely men's tournament so i'm really not sure if you know there's maybe going to be a wta equivalent or maybe some exhibitions that could be created to be like you know mixed events so it'll be interesting to see but i think you know the hopman cup has has served an excellent yeah you know purpose and it's just you know been a really nice pre-ao like tradition and i think it will certainly be missed from the calendar um but uh yeah we we'll, we we'll, we'll, we'll live to see what happens with the ATP Cup next year. It's going to be across Sydney, Brisbane and I think another city that's yet to be decided. Yeah. So
1: we'll we'll see. But I we'll hope see how that goes. I still <laughs> hope going forward that there is a place for mixed, you know, mixed gender matches, you know, mixed doubles mm. matches that bring together things you don't see every day and the Hotman Cup I think shows, you know, obviously Federer and Serena this year but also looking back on other years as well you know they've had Marit Safin and Dinara Safina play you know the only brother sister yep. pair to both reach yep. number one in the world yeah uh, they played idea. for Russia in 2009 you had Boris Becker and Steffi Graf only time in their careers that they played with each other uh, in 1992 and also you had like some comical moments um, and you could go on YouTube and, and check this out, Kim, but you had in 2011, you had five foot five Justine Ennan trying to reserve, return the serve of six foot ten John Isner. so you've got these kind of unique matchups, and I just hope yeah, in the f- going forward that mixed mixed doubles has this sort of platform to to sh- you know to show off what's so great about it.
0: Absolutely, I'm, I'm actually going to go on to YouTube and look, and look up that moment because if I was just in I would have just like run away. But yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so uh, number two on the I don't know things we learned from week one of this year's season, we had uh, a bit of a breakthrough from a certain Bianca Andreescu, who reached the final of the Auckland tournament. Uh, Joel, have you heard of Bianca Andreescu before? before now uh because she certainly didn't feature on my tennis radar
1: yeah i mean she's come out of for yeah for me she came out of nowhere in auckland she came through came through qualifying and she she really made a name for herself by beating back-to-back uh grand slam champions in venus williams and caroline wozniacki the uh match against williams was particularly uh, eventful because she won 11 consecutive games so wow. she won six seven six one six three but from love one down in the second set she went to five love up in the third set you know, and against someone like the caliber of venus williams that is you know, absolutely fantastic
0: yeah definitely she also beat Wozniaki didn't she who's the reigning australian open champion so i mean going into ao like she's uh, certainly going to be one to watch i think she's got a pretty powerful game um, quite a lot of variety as well, so I think you know Canada have a new uh, a new breakthrough player. So mm. you know, female Canadian tennis, we've seen the likes of you know Bouchard, who's been struggling of late. So it's it's good that they've got you know another top player coming on the scene. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a and she, we should just say actually that she lost to Gerges in the final. So Yulia Gerges won that tournament. So again, goes into the. Aussie Open with some good form there. Um, So number three of things that we (laughs) learned this week. um, The comebacks comebacks. are on, Kim. Comebacks are on. Comebacks are on. Yeah. So we had Thomas Burditch, didn't we, who got to the final of Doha.
1: Yeah. uh, Of, uh, yeah, no, sorry, of, uh, was it of Doha? Yeah. Yeah, Qatar Open. Yeah, Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, Yeah, Burditch, very... what should we say up and down last season Mm. only managed to play 22 matches and decided to bin off the rest of his the rest of his season (laughs) um he dropped out of the top 50 as well um which was the first time since 2005 but yeah he came back to Doha I think it's a place where he likes to play I think he's shown good form there in the past and uh managed to get to the final
0: yeah absolutely and he um yeah, he lost that final to Roberto Bautista Agut, who incidentally had beaten Novak Djokovic mm. in that tournament, which I don't think any of us really saw coming. Um, I mean, he's one of those players that when he does put it together, he can, you know, pull off a shock win. He's very sort of consistent and, you know, a real battler on the court. But, I mean, I, I certainly didn't see Novak losing to him. Uh, you know, I thought Novak would have steamrolled that tournament. Yep. However, you know, good on RBA um and incidentally you know he'll be playing as we said earlier murray uh first round aussie open which we'll be discussing in our next episode um we also had joe wilfrid Songa though um who's been away for a long time with a an injury and he was also back in action
1: yeah again again he kind of stepped on court didn't look like he'd missed a step and it's amazing that some you know it's, some players can, you know, some players can do that. He missed seven months of 2018 with a knee injury. And again, he'll go into Melbourne full of confidence and will yeah. be, you know, similar to Burditch. One of those sorts of, I think, dark horses based on their previous, you know, their previous, um, their previous results at Grand Slams. And it shows that yeah. they're getting back to their best.
0: No, definitely. I mean, if you've got, you know, natural talent and ability and like, you know, If it's just really an injury that's holding you back, it, it, you know, proves that, um, you know, those players have got the right mindset and determination to keep coming back. So good on them. Good on them. Um, Right. So number four, number four, uh, Nishikori uh, has actually managed to win a final. I think we've lamented Nishikori (laughs) on this podcast because he keeps getting to finals and then losing. But he actually managed to win one. So absolutely he's broken his duck. Yeah,
1: absolutely terrible record in ATP finals. I think going into the Brisbane final, he was on a lose streak of nine consecutive final losses. And yeah, it for someone of cool. Nishikuri's you know, ability, I was looking looking back to the last title he won, and it was February two thousand sixteen at the Memphis Open. I don't even wow. think the Memphis Open exists anymore, does it?
0: I I didn't even know they had an Open in Memphis, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm
1: I'm pretty sure it's got one of the more interesting, uh, tr- it had one of the more interesting trophies with like maybe Elvis or, or like, like Elvis, a guitar, yeah. <laughs> I think. I think, might be wrong on that, but um, yeah, he hadn't won a title since um, the Fe- Memphis Open in February 2016. Yeah, but came up against, you know, came up tough opponent in, uh daniel medvedev but came through six four three six six two
0: yeah uh so he won brisbane um which yeah he beats uh he beat oh he won that one last year with won that last year didn't he yeah um, i think just so i yeah. think because i like the brisbane tournament i've been to it it's it's a really good event and i always feel like that's quite a good um indicator of of yeah like form going into ao so we'll, we'll see we'll see what k does uh, over the next fortnight mm. Um, and then our fifth point of, uh, of the season, well, for week one anyway, was, uh, we had, uh, some surprising, su- some fu- surprising results in a tournament, which I think it's new. It's, it's in Pune in India. And, uh, we had some kind of funky facts from that one. So we had Karlovic, blast from the past, Ivo Karlovic. Is he the tallest player on the tour? I'm not sure. Must be. Um, he made the final of Pune, and do you know how old Karlovic is now? Well,
1: I was going to say, Kim, he's, he's not only one of the tallest, he's also one of the oldest. Cause yeah. He's, he's <laughs> 50, 40 years yeah. old.
0: 40, yeah. So he got to the final, lost to Kevin Anderson. Um, can you guess what happened in that final?
1: Um, was it three tie-break sets? Yes. Oh, shocking. of course. Shock. Big shock
0: there. <laughs> Absolutely massive shock. Um, so, yeah, Kev uh, won his sixth ATP title to uh to when he won pune yeah. so I, again he's one to watch I, you know? he's yeah. so solid isn't
1: he Ken? yeah he's very solid but i think the most interesting thing that came out of that final which i didn't realize was it set a record for the combined tallest final in the open era according to the atp website <laughs> it beat the previous record held by anderson versus john isner so uh at the 2013 atlanta open so I think that was I think that was quite interesting, and also uh, just going back to the semi-finals, we had Steve Darcy Steve Darcisse from Belgium making the semi-finals, and what was interesting about that was the fact that he went into that tournament unranked,
0: unranked. Yep. Oh, how does that happen? <laughs> so
1: he didn't have any. Why well, he must was have he given a up- wild card. Uh, yeah, I think so. So he came in on a wild card, had no ranking points whatsoever. And managed to, yeah, managed to get to the semi-finals as an unranked player, which I, you know, that can't, that how, can't happen. As, as so as he must have,
0: what, has he been injured for a long time? Because Steve Darcy always was like sort of your solid journeyman, qualifying <laughs> for slams. I still remember when he beat Rafa in the first round at Wimbledon. I was there for that match and I was just, you know, devastated. But yeah, that's, uh, well, he, he I assume he won't... Be unranked any longer now that he's you know no, the semis of food, no. eh? <laughs> well, well what's
1: quite what was quite funny was uh, i saw on uh, on reddit on tennis reddit someone noted that he was he actually crashed the atp live rankings um the like the rankings have basically changed and futures no longer offer ranking points and if you look at darcy's ranking he basically crashed the site because he according to the website he jumped 9,683 positions. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: wow. He's definitely this season's biggest mover. Then. Biggest <laughs> 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 mover yeah. and shaker. Amazing. Well done, Steve Darcy. as um, <laughs> why we're bringing you more fun facts. <laughs> um, right, let's move forward to, la- well, the week just gone. So week yeah. two of the tour. Um, again, more stuff to talk about. Really exciting matches, great tournaments. Let's go to Sydney because... For me, this was like Aussie stars shining brightly at the Sydney tournament. So we had Alex de Menor, who, um who is only 19, and he's like the up-and-coming Aussie hope, basically. And he um, won the title, his first ATP tour title in, in his home in his home city.
1: That must um, be a good feeling, mustn't it?
0: Yeah, I know. It's a, you know for your first maiden title to do it at home. I mean, that's great. So he um, he beat Andrea Seppi in the final, which is also I mean, Seppi is one of those players that has been around an awful long time. He seems, he
1: seems to like Australia as well, because obviously he yeah. got to the fourth round of um, the Australian Open last year. He came up against mm. Kyle Edmund. Yes. So he must like playing on the on the blue stuff in, in the Outback.
0: Yeah, the outback. <laughs> <laughs> Sydney and Melbourne hardly the outback. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like Seppi, so it's good to see him back in a final. Um, and anyway, Alex de Minore, you know, he's sort of mentored by Leighton Hewitt. So he's certainly a really exciting prospect for Australian tennis. And I think, you know, he's kind of proving it now. Um, he actually got to the final there last year, but he was ranked like 160-something Um and he, you know, is obviously <laughs> an awful lot uh, better than he was then. So, um, yeah, definitely one to watch for this season. Um, yeah. But also in Sydney, I don't know if you watched much of this tournament, but the women hmm. had a really exciting tournament.
1: Yeah, because that, that Sydney, the Sydney for the women's was like a premiere event, I think. And... I think
0: so, yeah. It's always been a joy event. events. It's, it's a really good one to go see the fans. Yeah, everyone. Um but, yeah, Queen of the Premiers from 2018, Petra won it um, for, I think, the second time. But she had a really, like, <laughs> I liked this description um, on, I think it was the WTA uh, website. They called the final a barn burner of a match, which I just thought was quite a funny way of describing it. Um, so it was a last set tie break that Kvitova uh, took to beat Petra uh, in the final so Ash Barty, again, it's like the female equivalent of Alex De Menor, I guess. It's, you know, young Australian hope. And she's certainly proving that because she played a slam of a tournament. So, uh, you know, she almost won it. And uh, I think she, again, going into A.O. is going to be, you know, one of the players to watch.
1: Yeah, she's certainly going to be a, a tough nut to crack, I think, in Australian. And, yeah, she's one of the... One of the outsiders that could go could go deep, and I think it sounds like that match against Kavitha in, in Sydney in the final potentially might look back at the end of the season as a match of the season candidate.
0: Mm. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Um, no, it was it was the cracker of a match, and you know, on the way to to get into the final. Ash Barty, she beat some top players. Like Simona Hallett, world number one, <laughs> Mertens, and then Burton. So, um, uh, you know, she she had a really good tournament. But interestingly, I think, I don't know, Kvitova winning that, if you look at the players Kvitova had to beat, you could arguably say that she is now, is she the ultimate favourite to win the Australian Open this year? Because she beat uh, Sabalenka, who is, you know, one of the most promising female players um at the moment she beats Uwe Shui who's a really tricky player at the best of times she beat Kerber Sasnovic who's had a really good run of form lately and then Barty so i just think she's beaten a lot of the in form players um to win that title and she only lost one set so i don't know i just feel like for me Kvitova's maybe putting it out there that she is like maybe the woman to beat for ao what do you think <laughs>
1: Yeah, we'll see. I'm sure we'll just discuss it on uh, on another yeah, on our Australian think Open preview yeah. podcast.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, she might be a bit too tired, maybe after all her exercise <laughs> in, in Sydney. But uh, yeah, um, the next point. So our third point from week two, shall we say? Um, I don't know. Do you want to go for this one, Joel? Because this is well, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a Brit making a final.
1: Yeah, because uh, yeah, in in Auckland we had. Cameron Norrie who uh, managed to get to the final um unfortunately he lost to American Tennis Sangren 6-4 2 but really kind of thrilling for Cam uh, for Norrie to kind of continue his good form that he showed well his you know his breakthrough season you know last year played really well at the Hopkins Cup which we'll talk about in Brits on Tour and yeah he he kind of Went through the went through the field, got to the final, and I think he'll be disappointed to kind of, yeah, not have lifted uh, his first trophy. I think it was there; it was a really big opportunity for him. Yeah, but uh, it it definitely gives him you know confidence going into going into the Australian Open.
0: Yeah, I mean, just having a a great run of form, just getting matches like consistent matches under your belt. Um... And to do it kind of at his home tournament, (laughs) arguably, Mm. because he grew up in Auckland, that would have been, you know, the icing on the cake, wouldn't it, for him to have got that trophy. Um, Especially losing, you know, to everyone's uh, favourite player um, in the final. Um, But yeah, hopefully, you know, he gets more ranking points, more money, more confidence. So hopefully he can build on that. But um, yeah, great week for Cam. Really, really pleased. Especially with the news about Andy. It was nice to have some kind of positive, <laughs> positive news. Yeah. British tennis. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. And then uh, we talked earlier about Bianca Andreescu doing so well um, in Auckland. But we also had another breakthrough from a player that most people would not have heard of um, on the women's side. So Sophia Kennin, a young American player. She won the Hobart tournament, um, beating Schmidlava in the final. So she... She's uh she's just jumped into the top 40 by winning that. She's now thirty seven in the world. she had a pretty good uh, run on four to get that title. Um yeah, I think most people wouldn't wouldn't have heard of her and she's now sort of earmarked herself. She's she's a name to watch and uh one to look out for at the slams and beyond.
1: Yeah, I think um yeah, she'll be, she's definitely a good prospect for United States and it'll be interesting to see how her season progresses. I'm always kind of curious on, you know, these players who are, you know, who are young and win, you know, their maiden title at a young age and see how they develop from that. Is it a flash in the pan or is there, is there, is there more to come? And, you know, for these, I think for these players, once they get to, you know, playing in the grand slams in the main draws—that's an entirely different, you know, level of Kettle competition. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, can your, you know, body handle, you know, that sort of physicality, you know, in a sh- in such a short space of time? And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how she does in 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 Melbourne.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, It's just interesting, you know, you get to really understand, like, the depth of the tour, you know, all these players that most people wouldn't have heard of, and then they suddenly pop up, win a title, Um, you know, fans just kind of attending that tournament, you know, expect that final, Um, but, you know, great tennis is great tennis, so. Mm. Um, An interesting point that I wanted to mention um, about, you know, this week as well on the tour. we're kind of going into the discussing Brits on tour now our Brits on tour section um I didn't know you could do this but Joe Conta retired or should I say withdrew from tournament twice um which did, did that strike is a bit odd Joel uh
1: yeah it was it was a bit odd because yeah Conta was in I think she was in the qualifying draw and yeah she had to retire from qualifying but Given her ranking, uh, she got placed in the main draw as a lucky loser. And, yeah, it did feel a bit kind of counterintuitive.
0: But it's like if she wasn't well enough to play her final qualifying match, were they just hoping, were the tournament just assuming or hoping that she would then be well enough to play in the main draw? But would that not kind of piss you off a bit if you were, you know, maybe like the second highest ranked in qualifying and then fit and healthy and you were then denied the chance to make the main draw um, yeah, I mean, yeah i just kind of feel like it's take, taking the piss
1: it, does it, bit, I, it does seem it does seem a bit odd and i i don't know um i mean it didn't amount to anything ultimately because content no. decided not to play in the main draw um Absolutely. but uh yeah very yeah, yeah very fun of a quirk of 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 the tour
0: yeah the rule book loopholes um <laughs> so just going on to let's let's discuss brit's uh british tennis so mm. joe conda pretty terrible start to the year with with this sort of neck injury not really sure where she's at if that was just precautionary or if there's you know genuinely something to be worried about
1: yeah she had i mean she beat Slo- stone stevens in her first match of the of the tour and <coughs> yeah, i was thinking
0: true. in brisbane right in yeah
1: brisbane. and i was thinking yeah. right Conta's going to be up to her very best again. <laughs> and then she goes and loses to Tom Yanovich in pretty, yeah. pretty uh, formulaic circumstances. Sense, yeah. So yeah. we'll see. Uh, it sounds like, you know, she's going into Melbourne potentially with an injury. And i um, and I think unfortunately for Brits, that's not an isolated case because we have Kyle Edmund as well. Who, is kind of short on form at the moment. He lost to a Japanese player, Uh,
0: um,
1: Uchiyama.
0: Yeah, one of them. Sorry, Japanese fans. Um, He did lose to someone.
1: Uchiyama. He lost to Uchiyama, says it, um, and I think his knee was troubling him during that match. So again, it'll be, hopefully he can kind of, go away and use the have have, have kind of had some time to kind of rehab that knee and hopefully he's 100% fit going into the Australian Open given that he's got so many points to defend
0: yeah I mean he does have an awful lot of points to defend so we uh we hope that he'll be you know fighting fit for AO um obviously Cam Norrie's had the best of the Brits uh over the last two weeks but Harriet Dart Mm. um, has also had a a pretty good start to the season she made the second round in Brisbane as a qualifier
1: yeah Harriet Dart has been in excellent form actually I think Um, she came through qualifying beat Petkovic in the final qualifying, qualifying round I was kind of paying attention to her path through and when she came up against Petkovic you know I thought you know she'll do well to get a set there but you know lo and behold yeah she came through managed to get a wild local wildcard I think in the first round Priscilla Hon came through that and yeah she can she can look back on you know the start of this season and yeah she's she's progressing very nicely
0: yeah no it's it's great to see her kind of breaking through and um well she's also qualified for for the Australian Open and so we'll uh, we'll discuss that more in our next episode um, but we've had some British doubles success. hey, <laughs> Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez. They won the Sydney tournament uh, beating Cabal and Farah. So it's their second Sydney title. So going into AO, you know, great run of form. And actually they won the Sydney title in 2016. And then, then what did they go on to do that year? So fingers crossed for a repeat of that. Um, one of our other favourite British doubles pairs um Luke Bambridge Johnny O'Mara they also reached the final of Pune so again promising going into Australian Open for British doubles and I kind of feel that um our doubles are at the moment perhaps more you know promising than our singles players but that's another story um so I think that brings us on to our favorite bit of the podcast Joel <laughs> scoreboard stories find some random fact for me to like <laughs> obsess over
1: <laughs> well <laughs> we have. well of course I have Kim and I think we've we may have even spoken about this before but I think it's worth highlighting again Peter Polanski his qualifying qualifying record for Grand Slams comes to the Australian Open goes into qualifying for the men's draw gets to the final round of qualifying comes up against Kokinakis. unfortunately he loses 6-4 6-4 now this puts him in a position where he could get a lucky loser spot now the interesting thing here is that peter polanski last season got four lucky loser spots in the row in a row he completed the lucky loser career slam given his terrible record in final qualifying rounds um, he's lost seven um, at seven straight at seven. He's lost at the stage in seven straight majors. And yeah, in the last four, he's received four spots. But having looked tonight on whether he will likely get one in um, uh, for the Australian Open, it doesn't. It doesn't look likely. So I think the streak, oh, no. the streak is ending, Kim. <laughs> the streak is ending.
0: Maybe they should just yeah, like as a, you know, he should just be the, the, the reserve player like to just sit on the like subs bench for like every tournament going i mean what what a stroke of luck imagine if he'd gone on and like won yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like at least you know got to the quarters or something i mean well kim i think crazy. his his
1: luck his luck i think has run out and yeah this oh, time around
0: peter polanski i love oh. their name peter polanski it just rolls <laughs> off the tongue so nicely doesn't it way um i've actually never watched him play i don't think hmm. so maybe if i'm Next at a slam, I'll go check him out. Assuming he's, yeah. you know, got a lucky loser. But maybe,
1: maybe don't check him out in in the final qualifying round because the no. chances are he's probably going to lose it.
0: Yeah. Well, he probably deliberately loses it now. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, so he can get a lucky loser. Who knows? Um, <laughs> right. So um, let's talk uh, any other business. Uh, what else has been going on in the tennis world uh, at the start of, of the year? I think there's been a bit of, like, political rumblings so I don't know if many people are aware, but um, Vasek Pospisil, who's like the head of the player council for players ranked 50 to 100, he sort of sent out um, a strongly worded email <laughs> to uh, against Chris Kermode, basically, who is the CEO of the ATP. Um, so there's kind of going to be a big meeting, um, I think, over the next couple of days, or was it this weekend... No, I think it was. I think it was been this weekend, actually. So I'm not entirely sure yet of the outcome. Um, But basically his argument is that there should be a players union that's separate from the ATP, because basically he thinks, along with some other players, that the ATP are kind of designing the tour just purely in the interest of the tournaments and like, I guess, sponsors. And they don't really have the players best interests at heart. Um, Chris Komode is CEO, his contract's up for renewal at the end of the month. So I think, you know, having this strongly worded letter now is like a a subtle nod to like oust Commode and get someone else in that's gonna be more aligned with the players' interests. Um so there's a bit of politics going on. I guess most kind of casual fans wouldn't really be aware of of the kind of internal uh politics of the tour, but I mean, ultimately, I I personally am in support of of what the players want because they're the ones grafting on the tour. And, you know, if they're not happy, if they're getting injured, you know, we know it's such a long season. They they work so hard, they're travelling all the time. And I think if you're going to piss the players off, you know, fundamentally, that's not good for the game, not good for the fans. And I think something should, you know, be done to improve their situation.
1: yeah it will be (laughs) yeah it'll be interesting to see how this plays out i you know i don't know i can't see its future i don't know what's gonna happen but if there is a vote for it and it would be very interesting to see if you know a players union did come about but i for me it's these sorts of things happen over you know a period of time they don't happen overnight Uh, And I guess it will start with this vote. And I think it's interesting. I think for me, the most interesting thing about it is the people who get to vote. Um, And if you look at the kind of three player representatives, you've got Justin Gimelstab on there, who, you know, many fans might not be aware of, but he's under, he's facing assault charges in in Los Angeles at the moment, which I think is going to court possibly at the end of this month.
0: I think so. Yeah. And I mean, he's he's John Lisner's coach, isn't he? Because I'm just thinking, I know obviously mm. he's an ex-player, but if he's a player representative, I mean, he's not a current player, is he? I just I'm just not sure of his motives, really. And again, I don't know what these assault charges are, but do we really want you know someone with potentially an abusive? <laughs> record like being involved in that high level tennis Mm. like i I don't know there's kind of a bit of controversy going on there yeah should he Um, be allowed
1: to vote with these charges going on i think that's a question that's being asked at the moment because he could have potentially the deciding you know the decide the deciding vote on you know on on the new on the new president if there needs to be a, a new one or whatever so we'll see we'll see how that we'll see how that plays out but a little little bit of politics for the passing shot to mull over um, yeah also I mean start. I don't
0: know who <laughs> I don't know who uh elects the player representatives you know like how democratic is this whole system so um but yeah maybe that's for another another, <laughs> another day but on a lighter <laughs> note on a lighter oh, note yeah. <laughs> uh
1: you are you I know because you're a big you're a big Spanish tennis fan I know you, you you let me know that uh Feliciano Lopez has got got married again
0: yeah, for the second time. So maybe this one will work out. Um, it'll be more successful than the first marriage. Yeah, was, I've just moved back to Spain and it's on all the, like, Hola magazine. So, yeah, congratulations. Judy Murray won't be very happy. She, <laughs> she likes she likes a bit of Deliziano. Yeah,
1: yeah. Cool. So I think that kind of concludes our first episode of the new season. Looking back on the first two weeks of the tennis tour. This has been The Passing Shot. Of course, you can listen to us, subscribe to us, download us on all your podcasting platforms out there. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, to name a few. Obviously, give us a follow on social media as well. Our Instagram account or on Facebook or on Twitter. And we'll be back with the uh, next episode, which will be about the Australian Open and previewing the men, women, and doubles draws.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.